Hello and welcome to A Week in Politics. This is episode 13. I'm Harvey and I'm joined as usual by Albert and Odysseus, but it's more of a night in politics because we're recording this late at night because we've got a very special guest joining us later. It is Reed Howard. He is the founder of Republicans for Biden. He'll be calling us in later in the show uh, all the way from Virginia and we'll be talking to him about American politics later on. But uh, as I said, we're going to go through the news. Uh, we're gonna, the Red King Cup is back for episode two of that. Uh, so how are we doing today? It's a, a late podcast this week, isn't it? It's eight o'clock at night here in the UK. How about yeah, how are you feeling? I'm, str- you know, I'm struggling to stay awake, but I think I'll just about... Just about awake. eight o'clock, I know. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a late one, especially with eight out of ten countdowns, countdown later on tonight. I'll be tuning in for that. But anyway, into the news this week, and there's been the... Well, you've had Brexit, you've had Trump. What else is their most significant thing in British politics? Of course, it's leadership uh, elections, and it is the Lib Dem leadership contest this week. And we can safely say that Ed Davey beat Leila Moran to become the new Lib Dem leader. Uh, for me, Ed, Albert, I'm going to go to you first, Albert. What do you think of Ed Davey becoming the new Lib Dem leader? Well, he's, he's a bit of an, in, a difficult choice because he's, he, was in the, he was in the cabinet. I believe he was energy secretary in the coalition cabinet. So he's basically, you know, in the sort of Nick Clegg crowd. Uh, so in terms of like winning new supporters to the party, I don't really know whether he's going to attract anyone new because he's not, he's not the most dynamic person in the world from what I've seen of him. But so, yeah, interesting, interesting choice. Not certain it's the right one. Yeah. Odysseus, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, uh, this is... You know, one of the first times I've actually heard of this leadership race happening, which is sort of testament to, I guess, in fairness, as part of how much there is going on at the moment, but also just how far down, you know, the Lib Dems have fallen. You know, I freak, frequently am looking at... Uh... Yeah, so essentially I think that they don't really have that much influence anymore at all. I don't think that... This will make a, a huge difference in terms of the way that things go for the Liberal Democrats. Um, yeah, I just expect that they'll carry on being the party that only has 10 seats. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I agree with, with, with Albert on this one. It's, it's just Nick Clegg again. It's just going backwards. But I just don't see where they're going with this. I mean, if they want to take another direction, I mean, Leila Moran would have been something different, not good for the party because she wants 11-year-olds to vote. but. <laughs> She, and, she, and she is an absolute nutcase. Let me just put that forward now. She's not coming on the show in the future. She is an absolute nutcase. Um, and I just think that she's, Ed Davies, a safe pair of hands there. But it's nothing different. It's nothing special. And it just means that the Lib Dems are completely irrelevant. And it's sad to see that a party which had a real poss- possibility, a possible chance of getting some influence in 2019, and they chose the wrong uh, stance on Brexit. Well, it it seems, uh, we said it before when we were just looking at the verdict of the parties, that they're kind of, it's stymied whatever they do because they, they chose the pro-EU you know they chose a sort of seemingly a, quite an extreme stance by saying that we'll stay in the EU if you vote for us but then if they also go from like you know they've, they've tried the moderate candidates with someone like Tim Farron or something like that and yeah that doesn't hasn't worked out for them either so you know they're yeah. in a difficult position yeah no they are and and they're going to uh they're going to struggle really because it's it's sort of in in a position in a time when in the UK when we need a third party because people can't bring themselves to vote for Boris Johnson and people can't bring themselves to vote for the current state of Labour. Lib Dems have a perfect opportunity and sadly they're just, time after time they're failing. I mean, Ed Davies is the best possible chance that they had 
at the current batch of MPs to be able to sort of galvanize some support. But at the same time, it does depend on what stance they take on certain aspects. If they still stand this thing of trying to revoke Brexit, which is what Leila Moran had in her manifesto, then there is absolutely zero chance of them gaining any support in the future. They've got to really capitalize on on a certain aspect that Labour and, the, and which Conservatives and Labour can't agree on and that their sensible alternative is that what the Lib Dems have got to support to be able to get any chance of getting any sort of uh, 2010-esque uh, sort of power back, in, back into the Lib Dems, definitely. Yeah, I think it's not, I think they can ally themselves with um, people who are opposed to Brexit, but I think that the remaining in the EU, EU stance just isn't that feasible anymore, much no. as I, much as, you know, it's something I would agree with, like, I just don't think it's feasible when we've come this because, far. And they've got to drop it then, haven't they? Because it's either you support, there's no other way around it now. We're getting the, I yeah, mean, after, as of December 31st, there is nothing they can do. There's nothing they can argue about a trade deal or anything like that. It's all sorted pretty much uh, come New Year. So they've got I, to really I, leave, I they've got to drop close, that. Yeah, close ties with the EU, agreeing trade deal, that kind of stuff. I, yeah, I think just the whole revoking yeah. Brexit thing is not something that's sustainable. But a question I want, to, I want to put to both of you, I'll, I'll come to you first. Do you think that, uh, the Lib Dems now, I think if they was sort of a, I know Oddie's constantly said in this podcast, um, and he said that, you know, Labour have a real chance of getting in in 2024. Do you think that the uh, the Lib Dems, if they was sort of a, a hung parliament, which side do you think they'll go for under a Davy? Because I, I always see him as more of a, he was a side with the Conservatives, definitely on, on issues rather than the Lib Dems. You know, he's had a more of a conservative background and, and on his voting record is certainly more conservative than I would say Labour, but also would he side with a more centre-left Keir Starmer? I think um, he would he would side with Labour, but that's, like that, that, that's because of the support base that he has. Because the support base of the Lib Dems is largely very pro-EU, very pro um, uh, sort of socially liberal ideas. And I just don't think that the support base would accept any kind of siding with the Conservatives again. You know, how, how much Nick Clegg was crucified for it and how many votes the Lib Dems lost because of that. Not least from people like my parents who said they wouldn't vote for the Lib Dems after that. Mm. Um, just to bring a... Yeah. In. But yeah, so yeah, you would definitely side with Labour, I would think. Yeah. Who do you think he would, he would side with? Yeah, again, I think Labour. I think it was a disaster electorally even if in some ways it wasn't the national interest to side with the conservatives um and i don't see how like you know i don't see how there would be as convincing a case even if it had gone well with conservatives to side with the conservatives again because they probably never even really wanted to but pretty much had to just because of the circumstance of 2010 so for those two you know very strong reasons uh yeah i think there's no chance to side with the conservatives so it would be labor yeah. Oh well, I, I think I personally think conservatives. I think uh, it's always a safe option, um, and I think. But I do agree with what you guys are saying that their newfound sort of voter base of the Lib Dems would be more Labour supporters. But a lot of them were conservatives who did prefer Remain. So uh, again, it's twenty twenty four is going to be an exciting quite, election, definitely. Quite a, few, quite a few Lib Dem seats did go Tory last year, so they've got to find some way of winning those seats back. It, they're in a difficult position, definitely, of being it's able difficult. to... Yeah, how, how do you things. take people... How do you them that always happens with the Liberal Party. They've got to take the best of both worlds, but in our political system, yeah. they've got to find a, some way of being able to appease, the bo- appease both, which I guess with Starmer being more centre-left and Boris being centre-right, you could be able to... It'd be easier than having someone like... Uh, Theresa May, for example, who was more on the right, and Corbyn, which was more polarised, I think we've been able to find 
been a bit more difficult to find the ground. So again, well, it's exciting to see what Lib Dems will do. Actually, it, they look like they could be, they have an opportunity to be credible uh, threat in British politics again. But again, we'll have to wait and see what which side they take because after the Brexit debacle, uh, they've really got to try and get the trust back in a lot of their voters. But Albert, anyway, what news caught your eye this week? Well, this week there's been some interesting developments in Russia. Uh, uh, particularly, we had the poisoning or the suspected poisoning of uh, Alexei Navalny, who is a, uh, a key opposition figure to, uh, to Putin. Uh, he's been really critical of a lot of Putin's policies, but also with wider policies in Russia to do with uh, biz big business and corruption. Uh, so it's possible that this poisoning isn't even related to Putin himself, which is what a lot of people have been saying uh, that the Kremlin is behind it. In actual fact, there are thousands of people in Russia who would rather see this guy not investigating their affairs because he's been instrumental in exposing lots of instances of corruption and money laundering in Russia itself. Uh, so it will be interesting to see where he goes. He's a very he's a very good guy in Russia for that sort of stuff. So hopefully he'll be able to make a recovery. He's, he's had attempts on his life before and he's survived them. So hopefully he'll be able to make a recovery. But there's also been um, uh, the ongoing protests in Belarus, which I know we, we touched on before. Um, Putin said that he would consider moving a um, police, uh, deploying police forces to, to prevent protests if uh, Lukashenko requested it. Um, I don't know. I know you've been looking at the story as well, Odysseus. What, what did you make of that move? Um, well, I think that in Belarus, I think that, to be honest, if I was a Belarusian protester, you know, wanting democracy, I'd probably be getting uh, less and less optimistic as the time goes on, partly because, um, you know, obviously mentioning Russia, Putin has said that he's, he would consider sending over, uh, you know, support to Lukashenko, which I think could well happen. And also more generally, because I think it's kind of reached a point whereby, you know, they're, I mean, they can protest as much as they want, but Lukashenko isn't going to agree to go. Um, they need to think of a much more, like, direct form of action. Um, you know, general strikes have been mentioned, um, but basically, yeah, I mean, like, I think that it's the time that they really need to decide to do something in Belarus. I think that for so long they've been trying to do this, you know, uncontroversial in inverted commas ways of protests. Like I've even seen from videos, um, people in Belarus criticizing the protests in the United States to do with the Black Lives Matter for rioting and saying, you know, that was just one interview I saw. And so he was saying, oh, well, here in Belarus, we've been totally peaceful. Nothing has been damaged. Um, and, you know, whilst getting beaten up by the police and that kind of thing. But it's kind of like there's there's only a point to which that's going to work. Like, basically, not offending anybody is not really that viable a way of making change because, essentially, at in the end of the day, no one really cares if you peacefully protest. Um, so they need to think of something to do. Yeah, um, I think and, you know, to mention on Navalny, another country which um, is extremely you know, it's a clear dictatorship, you know, Belarus is wrongly regarded as the last dictatorship of Europe, because of course Russia very much is as well. And yeah. in the same way, um, no one should expect, because people were talking about Putin withdrawing his support. I know that they didn't necessarily say it because of the moral reason, but, you know, we have to remember in this, as Putin's a dictator himself, he doesn't care about how undemocratic and uh, how much of like a forgery the election was in Belarus. So, 
yeah, I'd say that both of these cases are extremely, you know, negative looking at the moment. And, you know, both countries are probably going to be dictatorships for the foreseeable future unless something dramatic changes, which I don't expect to. Yeah, just, just as a last point on the Belarus thing. Yeah, I think that I agree with you about something like a general strike would be the way to, to tackle this. Because I think unless the situation, the economic situation gets worse in Belarus, uh, things won't necessarily change because I think they're the people they'd need to galvanize because a lot of the protesters at the moment are quite young uh, you know younger age it would take protests from across the generations in order to bring about some substantial change which I can't necessarily see in the near future I wouldn't say anyway no well I think I don't know too much about it I just know that Putin uh, is playing with fire I think with other western countries on this and i always am oh, against sort of international interference and uh i think this is this is something which he's, he's got to keep his um keep his grubby hands off in in my opinion but um but no that's well that's the news uh, for this week um and now we've got a very special uh, thing this week so obviously last week i did say at the end that we'd have a presidential candidate sadly he was meant to be the green party candidate for president of the united states he's dropped out but we've got someone fantastic on uh, as well, which his name is Reed Howard, who is the Republicans uh, Demo- Republicans for Biden. Uh, he's obviously anti-Trump. Uh, he's a big name in, in US politics. And uh, we did an interview with him uh, here from the UK, over, from the United States, uh, over Zoom. Uh, and uh, here it is. I hope you enjoy. So I'm joined here by Reed Howard, uh, who is uh, a ethicist, minister, and social activist. Uh, He's the co-founder and chairman of GOP for Joe and Biden Republicans. Uh, Howard launched the Republicans for Biden virtual rally series, which has galvanized over a thousand current and former Republicans to volunteer for the Joe Biden presidential campaign. And to date, he has built a coalition of several Republicans for Biden digital communities uh, to bring the rallies to a combined audience of over 200,000 followers. Additionally, Howard traveled to Iowa, for the 2020 caucus to volunteer as a precinct captain for the Biden campaign. Reid, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the podcast. Uh, it's, well, firstly, how are, you, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We're just coming out of two long weeks of national conventions in the States. So I'm really excited to be with you and talk with everybody. Well, yeah, and it's very exciting for us because uh, in the UK, we get what our BBC and Sky News tell us. Uh, and obviously what we see on Twitter and Facebook and, and all the social medias, but to actually have someone who lives and breathes and uh, works in, in US politics and especially uh, someone who has uh, outspoken out about Donald Trump, uh, it's going to be really exciting to hear what you've got to say on the matter and, and educate us on, on what happens as well over here in the UK and our listeners in the UK who are very interested to understand why there is so many Rep- Republicans uh, supporting Biden, which I'm sure you, you're going to explain. So firstly, what are your thoughts on the on Donald Trump's term as president? You know, I, I have not been a fan of uh, Donald Trump since the moment he came down the golden escalators, um, which is he announced his run for the president in his tacky um, building in New York. Um, and, you know, as, as the primaries went on, I had my favorites in the 2016 Republican presidential primary. Um, those folks did not win, unfortunately. And so, you know, I've been against Trump since uh, the moment he took office. I was actually working on Capitol Hill, which is our, um, what we call our Congress, and at the time and decided I had to leave. I didn't want to 
be associated with the Republican Party um, at the federal level because I was just discontent with Donald Trump and he has proven to be an incapable and ineffective leader since. So, um, you know, I feel like it's a time where you have to speak out. We don't often cross the aisle, as we say in the States. Um, we normally, if you're a Republican, you support the Republicans, even if you don't like everything that a particular Republican president does. But I just think something is different this election cycle. Something has been different these past four years. And um, there are Republicans who are willing to speak out. Mm. Uh, and, th and that's the thing, you know, there's so many Republicans willing to speak out, but what is it about Joe Biden, which makes him such a, uh, is it more of him as a good candidate or is it just it's anti-Trump? You know, if it were any other person uh, besides Joe Biden, with the possible exception of Amy Klobuchar, who is a, a, a Democratic U.S. Senator who ran for president, I don't think you'd see this outpouring of support from Republicans. Joe is a lifelong moderate. He has been known to be somebody who is a serious public official. And um, during a Democratic primary, which featured over 20 strong candidates, a lot of uh, the presidential contenders tracked to the left in order to win the base of the Democratic primary. And so you saw folks even like Kamala Harris endorsed uh, the Green New Deal and Medicare for All, um, although she backtracked on that, but a lot of candidates went leftward. And Joe Biden didn't. He remained steadfast in the center lane of the party. And that gave a lot of my friends on the Never Trump side uh, hope that Biden could govern in a more inclusive way that really built a cross-party coalition. Um, so I'm just thrilled that he won the primary. I even spent some time in Iowa, which is our first um, nominating contest in a presidential primary, to volunteer for Joe to make sure that he crossed the finish line. So, um, you know, I think Joe is unique in the fact that he's able to attract all these Republicans. Yeah, it's, and, you know, was Kamala Harris, because Joe Biden is obviously a, a big catch. He's a former vice president. Uh, over here, you know, Obama and Joe Biden are, are, are liked in the UK uh, and across the world they are liked uh, and they're respected. Uh, do you think that sort of the, the, the sort of the respectability of Joe Biden, his sort of, he's got experience on the stage. He's well respected by world leaders. For example, over here in the UK, you know, we've had our Prime Minister David Cameron uh, meeting up, meeting him, um, our Gordon Brown meeting him as well. Uh, do you think that he's, that's a, a reason why people like him so much is because he comes across as a, as a statesman, a leader compared to uh, the President Donald Trump? Certainly, especially during the time of COVID-19, when we're looking for a steady hand at the wheel. Um, Joe Biden gives folks a lot of confidence that he has both the experience and the connection with world leaders to be able to get in the Oval Office and um, take over on day one. You know, in America, we like to say um, <laughs> that our president is the leader of the free world. I think Donald Trump has, um, proven that that is not always going to be the case. He's, Trump certainly does not want to be the leader of the free world, um, but Joe Biden has those connections from his time as vice president, but he was also the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So from his decades of work in government, 
he is capable of doing the job. Mm. And uh, just tell us a bit about your work for Biden Republicans, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be uh, intrigued by this because over in the UK, we don't really have uh, it's a very different system. You know, we don't have a, a certain a man uh, or, or woman or, you know, person running for the lead of the country. Uh, it's always done by political party. Uh, so just tell us your work for, you know, Republicans supporting Biden and how it's galvanized so much support uh, across the country and, and from uh, politicians as well. And tell us just a bit about, about what you do. Yeah, sure. So when this anti-Trump movement started to happen on the right side of the political spectrum, um, there were not a lot of homes for us to go. And so what uh, a couple of groups, the Lincoln Project is a huge political action committee that formed and they were started by um, uh, Kellyanne Conway, who's one of Trump's senior advisors. Her husband started this group. So he's an anti-Trumper and some prominent Republican um, political operatives formed this group to run ads against the president. And that had never really been done before. Senior leaders of a party establishment basically sniping the president of their party. And um, all of these groups started forming around the same time. And some of them are going to be supporting Democrats up and down the ticket because they just want to burn down the Republican Party because everybody has enabled Trump. Um, Some groups like Republican Voters Against Trump, that's another really well-funded, serious effort that is taking on the president, but they haven't made a claim about who they're supporting. So they're just against Trump, they're not for Biden. And so we felt like it was really important to give Republicans who wanted to support Joe a home um, and a way to get involved in this electoral season. So at Biden Republicans, we host these virtual rallies because of COVID, where we have big names in Republican politics come. We get folks really excited that they're not alone. That's a big thing. Political tribalism across the world, especially in America, is really intense. And so in order to get someone to be comfortable leaving, if they've been a lifelong Republican, in order to get them comfortable to leave their party, um, they kind of need a tribe to go to. And they don't want it to be the Democratic Party because they've grown up thinking that they're wrong and evil. And so this is a good kind of uh, transition group, if you will, to get folks plugged in, um, realize that there's others like them, and that it's okay to vote for Joe Biden, even if you're a Republican. So that's our, that's what we do. No, that's, that's, it's fantastic. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, how, how it works over there with the, the two, the two party system and, and how you can be able to galvanize support from both sides, which is um, from, from studying us politics. It's, it's unfounded that something like this has happened. I mean, last time, actually, was it, was it Ronald Reagan? Uh, the last time when something at, on this scale um, happened between, between two, the two parties. Uh, yeah. But- so- and that, so that's actually where we get our name. So um, in 1980, um, millions of Democrats crossed the political aisle to vote for the Republican Ronald Reagan, and they called them Reagan Democrats. And so that is a vernacular that we're all comfortable with in the United States. We know that story. And so Biden Republicans is that same idea that there are just Republicans who cannot support their party's nominee. And we're going to go support Joe Biden instead. 
Mm. And uh, what do you make of Trump's uh, sort of reaction to COVID and our coronavirus and um, and Black Lives Matter as well? Because they're the two things that we hear over here in the UK, and our listeners will be interested to hear. You know, we always hear that's the only thing we hear about about US politics really is Trump's handling of coronavirus and obviously what's happening over there with the um, demonstrations and the protests on, on Black Lives Matter. So you just tell us what, what you think personally of, of Trump's uh, handling of the, these two massive situations. Sure. Well, I'll start with COVID first. And then um, Donald Trump has struggled with the truth um, throughout his presidency. So the phrase alternative facts was used his very first week in the White House um, and he has been a consistent liar throughout his tenure. And what we're realizing now is when it comes to a global crisis or a public health crisis, the truth is not only a necessity, but um, the insistence on falsehood can be lethal. And so I believe that Donald Trump, his unwillingness to take this virus seriously is caused by the fact that he wants everyone to think he's running the country well. And by asking Americans to wear masks, he, is, he feels as though he's admitting he did something wrong. And he gets offended when he sees people around him wearing masks. He actually, um, he said this on a, uh, in, in an interview recently, um, he said, I don't like it when somebody wears masks because that means it's a show of weakness on my part. So it's just this crazy warped worldview that he lives in. And, um, you know, he does not take his advisor seriously. Dr. Fauci, who leads our um, response team to infectious diseases, is um, an advisor that Trump has not taken as seriously as he needs to. So it's just, it's his incompetence has been killing Americans. And the hard thing about the Trump era is he can win any political battle by spin, by convincing people that what they're hearing and what they're seeing is not real. Um, but that's easy to do with when it's an intangible political battle. When it's your neighbors and your family members who are getting sick and dying, you can't convince people that it's not actually happening. So I think it's going to fall flat on his face. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, over here, you know, we there's very little support of Donald Trump across the pond. I think a lot of us want to see uh, Joe Biden back in. And I have to admit, I, in 2016, I, I supported uh, Donald Trump. I was a, if I don't believe him, but after these four years, I would say that I am with you on this one. I am definitely a, a sort of an English Republican uh, wanting, uh, wanting Joe Biden in just for some, just for the, the sake of having some, uh, you know, normality back in, in the White House, especially with with coronavirus has really shown up the incompetency of of donald trump definitely i definitely agree with you on that one i would just have a uh, before we go to let albert and odysseus come in with a few questions i've just got a, a question for one of our listeners malcolm who is a republican uh, in in america he lives in england but he's uh, a republican over there and he says uh, what do you think are the current fundamental flaws in u.s politics today oh i don't know where to begin with that because <laughs> there's quite a few um <laughs> But, you know, I think the, the intense partisanship in which nobody is willing to be seen as crossing the aisle and working together in Congress has really spoiled um, the body politic. And that's due to a number of things. One, that's campaign finance reform, 
we have these dark money organizations that are just able to pump in tons of cash into political campaigns and um, negative ads run amok. Um, another issue is gerrymandering, where politicians are able to draw their districts so that um, it gets so that one political party always wins, which then creates an incentive to run to the furthest extreme of your party to please the base. So, you know, I would say those are two of the biggest reasons why American politics is so poisoned right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's over here as well. You know, we have our parliament does exactly the same thing. There's a, a lack of cooperation, which does lead to, uh, you know, the democracy stuttering, doesn't it? And, and stalling for such a long, long period of time. Uh, Harvey, you, you, before we go on, Albert, you had asked uh, also about Black Lives Matter. And I, I did want to get to it if, if we've got time. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge topic at the moment. Yeah, so obviously America has a really long and troubled history of race. That's starting with the fact that our constitution, which guaranteed equal rights for everyone, was signed but unfinished and did not include equal rights for um, black slaves in America. And, and that just created a ripple effect, which broadened inequalities that were not addressed from through decades of politicians. That's both Republicans and Democrats. But what we're seeing in America right now is this demand for justice. And I don't think it would be happening if we didn't have the technology of smartphones at everyone's disposal. Um, when you catch police brutality on camera, um, it is impossible for these local law enforcement agencies to deny it. And everyone can see it in real time. So Republicans, deployed tactics to win over white voters. And this started with Richard Nixon, um, who deployed what was called a Southern strategy where he would try to please white conservative Southerners in order to win the presidential election. And then we've just continued down this road of dividing Americans on issues of race, because it's a lot easier to win through fear tactics than it is through unity. And um, Republicans have been uncomfortable talking about issues of race. And the fact is, is that what's different now is we see brutality. And I think what you're really, when you see the public polling that says Americans are uncomfortable with how Donald Trump is tackling the race issues in America, it's because they don't like the coarseness and the brutality. It's not, I don't think, and this is sad to say, I don't think the majority of white Americans are really wanting true equality and justice for black Americans. I think they just want the end to decency. So it's my job and folks who do care about racial justice to push the envelope that much further. And that's what you see the Democrats are just beginning to talk about in a mainstream way is how to build true equity in a society. Um, and I'm on the more progressive end of the Republican party when I talk about these issues, but I definitely think that's what the next generation of conservatives and Republicans are gonna need to do in order to broaden the base of support for our party and win future elections because through, um, 
through immigration and demographic change, America is becoming uh, a browner country, a more diverse country. I personally think that's a good thing, but the Republican Party of 2016 and of 2020 is not prepared for that reality. No, uh, no, I, I completely understand that as well. And over here in the UK, we have the same the same problems as well with with Black Lives Matters, and I think it's on a, a different level to yours because it's so it's so more important in in the United States to tackle this. I think there's more racial injustice in the United States, and it's something that really needs to happen soon. I think it will. Do you think it will dominate the U.S. election? You know, we have very short attention spans in America. <laughs> <laughs> so if um, if we were to have a big um, terrorist attack. I think you're going to see anti-Muslim sentiment rise in the election. And if that happens in September, I think the whole election could start to be about national security and, um, you know, Islamophobia. So you just never know what's going to happen in the U.S. election. No. Um, Albert, have you got a question? Uh, for you? I, know you, I know you've got one prepared. Uh, yeah, I just, well, I just had... Uh, just one quick question versus just out of interest, what state will you be voting in in this um, election in November? I am a Virginian, so I'll vote in Virginia. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I just I was just wondering that out of interest. But the um, the, the question I wanted to ask is, if so, in the in the next presidential election, obviously Donald Trump won't be the candidate either because he'll have been president enough, or hopefully he will have been defeated. Who would be your dream candidate, Republican candidate for president? Ooh, Who do you think question. the party itself could take over? That's a hard question for me to answer, Albert, because I don't know. Because um, you're asking me about the future of the Republican Party, which nobody has a lot of uh, good ideas on right now. But I would say... Um, if Donald Trump loses this election, I think he will run again in 2024. He's that egocentric. Either that or Don Trump Jr., his son, yeah, will that, run yeah, in his stead. Um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of competition in that primary. But if I had my choice, um, I'd like someone like Larry Hogan, who's the governor of Maryland, who's been a very centrist governor. Um, John Kasich, who's a former governor of the state of Ohio, who um, ran against Trump in the 2016 primary. He actually just came out in support of Joe Biden. Um, I'd like for him, although I don't think he's really going to. Um, Mitt Romney is a former Republican presidential nominee who is the only sitting Republican U.S. senator who voted to impeach Donald Trump. I think he has the moral credibility. But honestly, Albert, I think the future of the Republican Party is going to belong to folks whose names we don't know yet. And we're going to have to get those people elected in the 2022 federal elections and then in 2024. But the fight for the soul of the Republican Party, the fight for a less nativist, less demagogic Republican Party is going to happen in that 2024 presidential primary. So whoever wins, I hope they're going to take us in a direction opposite of Donald Trump. But I don't have a lot of hope in, um, in that right now. No. Um, Otto says, have you got anything to, uh, to add? Yeah. 
I've got a question, which is, uh, in answering this, feel free to give a few like honourable mentions or ones that don't make your number one spot. My question is, um, what is like the number one you know trait, opinion, view of Donald Trump that you dislike the most, and that really drove you to be you know anti-Trump and be you know Republicans for Biden? Yeah, good question. In his announcement speech for president, he said, um, when Mexico sends their people, they're not sending their best, they're criminals, they're rapists. And then he goes on to say a lot of things. And that right out of the gate turned me off to who he was. So I think the overt racism of Donald Trump is what makes me not like him the most. Um, and there's a lot of other vulgar things that he's done, the way he talks about women, um, the way he mocked a disabled reporter in his first run for the White House. There's a lot of things to not like about him, but the overt racism is a red line for me. Yeah, yes. Um, I've just got a, a quick one uh, for you, Reed, as well. Just a, a quick prediction. And this is not of what, who you want to win, but who do you think will win in November? You know, I, there's a lot of polling in the U.S. right now that says Joe Biden has a lead. But I think that that lead is going to tighten and it's going to come down to a couple of swing states who will decide the Electoral College. And I think, you know, right now I do think Joe Biden is winning, but um, that's because the election is on the issue of race and on coronavirus right now. I think that could easily change before election day and Trump could win. No, absolutely. I mean, over here, we just see the polls and, and after 2016 and especially with our own elections as well, we've decided don't look at the polls because they're wrong uh, pretty much every single time. And I think that's why it's so open in this US election is that we just don't know who's going to, uh, to claim to win out of Trump or Biden because the polls are usually 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 wrong, especially with the Clinton one. She won the popular vote, but it didn't predict the uh, the wins in in states such as Florida for for Trump, which is uh, how he inevitably won. Um, yeah, and Florida's a really interesting state this time. You've got to look because Donald Trump has talked about um, cutting Social Security, and there's a lot of elderly voters in Florida that are concerned about it. A lot of elderly voters that are worried about the coronavirus. So Trump has done some things that are going to unsettle the race in Florida and Joe Biden. Joe Biden is actually about to start a lot of ad spending targeted to seniors in Florida. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we uh, finish the interview, we always like to take our guests and play a little game. And as you are the first um, sort of native uh, American, not native American, obviously, but uh, American native uh, we want to play a little game. Uh, have you ever been to Britain, Reed, by any chance? I actually have. I've been. I went to a wedding in London. Oh, fantastic! Well, I've got a bit of a quiz for you on on British terms, and I just want you to say, see how many you can get. We've got a American guest coming on next week as well. It's uh, I'm not meant to say it, but um, it's someone who is running for president. Uh, not a, someone big, but it's uh, a vermin supreme. I'm, I'm sure you've you sure you've heard of of him. Yes, we've got him on next week, which we're all very excited for. Um, yeah, and uh, we're going to play the same game with him, and it's going to be a little competition between you two. See who can come out as our uh, intercontinental champion. Uh, we're going to. Well, 
he wears a boot on his head, so um, he's already got fashion (laughs) over me. So, well, you've got to try hard here because you need something. uh, You need to win this one. Don't put a boot on your head, obviously. That's uh, not (laughs) not the best looks. Uh, But anyway, so the first one. So I've got a few terms, a few maybe a a few quick fire questions. I want to see if you can get them. So, do you know what bojo is? Bojo is that a sandwich? It's not. It's actually the name of our prime minister, Boris Johnson. Uh, that's what we call him. Oh, okay. we call him a bojo, but he, he is about as competent as a sandwich uh, as our leader. We just so, call uh, him a. We just call him British Trump over here. Well, yes. I mean, he, he's got the same hair. Ha- the hair, same hairstyle, and probably the same competency as well. Um, especially the handling of coronavirus. Uh, and also, can you name three British politicians? Yes, I can. Ed oh. Miliband. Oh. Um. Angela, Mer- oh God, no, oh, sorry, German. she's German. She's German. <laughs> um, uh, Ed Miliband, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, and- <laughs> the big booze coming from the uh, from our listeners from from Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> yeah, well, he's like our Bernie Sanders. He is, but so, Jeremy Corbyn's um, a lot. I think's a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher, great choice. My favorite prime minister. Uh, okay, do you know what a crumpet is? Yeah, something you eat with tea. Tea and crumpets. That's there you how go. we make you fun it. of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, tea and crumpets is a type of bread. Uh, Marmite. Is that something you spread on a scone? Uh, you, something, you, definitely something you spread. If you put it on a scone, it would taste absolutely disgusting. Um, I mean, it tastes disgusting anyway, it tastes but, disgusting <laughs> anyway, but it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a savory spread that we have over here, uh, but nice. it's, it's nothing good. I mean, I've seen some Americans eat it, and they absolutely despise the thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Tories. Oh, yeah, that's your conservative party. Oh, well done. That's, that's it. That's what I am, uh, a, a, to- a stern Tory. And the last term. Now, this is one, I don't know if you have the same term here, but I'll explain it. Do you know what a gammon is? Um, is it something like a, um, like a crazy person, right? It's, it's, yeah, sort like of. It's not a nice term, right? It's not a nice term. It's a, it's a bad term. We use it to describe someone who's incredibly right-wing and voted for Brexit over here. And it's usually someone who's bald, middle-aged, and a big sweaty red face. That's what a gammon describes. <laughs> um, and it's not a nice term, but somehow over here, the people who don't like it are usually deserve being called it. Uh, so that's why that's what we call a gammon. So out of that, you got, uh, I give you three points for the politicians, uh, Crumpets four, Tories five. You got five points there, which I think, uh, uh, oh, six actually for the gammon term. So six points. Uh, Vermin Supreme's got a long way there. He's got to try and get six points on the same quiz, uh, which I'll let you find out next week. <laughs> so I, well, I, let I, me know how I'll let goes. you know if you lose to Vermin Supreme, which uh, it's probably the first time he's ever won anything, to be honest, uh, based on his base. <laughs> Uh, standard but uh anyway reed it's been an absolute pleasure having you on it's been great to hear um about uh you know republicans uh, for biden and your views on the on the u.s election and uh first of all, wish you best of luck with the um with the campaign uh, we're all here we are a part, we are cross-party so we're not gonna say who we vote for but we do hope that there is change in america uh for the sake of uh, democracy and uh it's been great having you on reed and uh, thank you very much it's been fun to be with you thanks yeah. for having me So the Red Ken Cup is returning. It is episode two, or round two of the of the Red Ken Cup. Odysseus won the first one with a pathetic score of one 0 I mean, I don't know who that, who's worse, Odysseus or Albert there, but Oddie played it safe. 
We got the win oh, and we're back. Obviously, we weren't there last week. It was on international break because of the fantastic Tom Harwin mm-hmm. episode, which we had, which has got a bit of beef on Twitter with a few um, lefty loonies, but they'll be uh, dealt with in due course. But the Red King Cup, here we go. Uh, so, Albert, as you lost last time, you get to pick if you want to go first or second. Um, I'd like to go first, please. First this time. Uh, so, there is uh, who am I? So, last week it was what's the link? It's who am I? So, obviously, it's the usual clues, uh, four clues. Uh, if you get it on the fourth clue, you get, uh, if you get it on the first clue, you get four points. Uh, third clue, second point. You know how it works. Uh, it gets down to gets the fourth clue, which is the easiest clue. You get one point for that. Um, obviously, it's quick fire. So you've got to give, say next and things. That, and you know the rules. We've played this before. Listeners know. It's who am I? Very simple game to play. So, Albert, you've chosen to go first. So the first clue, uh, this person is 82 years old. Right. I'll go for next. This person was deputy prime minister from 1997 to 2007. Oh, I think I'm going to go for this one. What do you think? For three points. I think that it's John Prescott. Howard Jennings, you've gone three nil up early on. That's a massive result, that is. Three points. Or Albert. I didn't realise he was that old, actually. Now, honestly, this is a very hard one for you, this one. Okay. This person is born in 1968. Right, okay, I'll go for the next clue. (laughs) This person is Welsh Assembly member for South Wales Central. He gets John Prescott and I get a Welsh Assembly member. This person is very famous, very famous. I think I, know, I think I know who it is, but I don't know whether I want to say it. No, we'll know them. So hang on, let me think. Um, was it, wait, let me think, what's his name? Because I only actually know one Welsh Assembly member, so I might as well just go for it. Who is it? Oh, wait, I know two. I'm just thinking. Well, do you want the, ne- the next clue, we'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down. I can confirm that for you. <sighs> okay, go on. I'll go for the next clue. This person was Welsh Conservative leader from 2011 to 2018. Welsh Conservative leader? Mm. Oh, okay. Well, that rules out. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't who I was thinking of, actually, but now I think I do know it anyway. And we want okay. to go for the final clue for yeah. one point. Wait, let me think. Wait, Welsh Conservative... Okay, go on, go for the final one. This person does not know the difference between Brexit and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Who am I? Uh, so, born in 1968, Welsh Assembly member for South Wales Central, Welsh Conservative leader from 2011 to 2018, and does not know the difference between Brexit and breakfast. You know, I'm going to go with Pat Farrell. <laughs> Pat Farrell is, is not right. It is Andrew R.T. Davis, who famously said, we will deliver breakfast, rather than saying we will deliver Brexit uh, in the famous uh, Conservative Party speech. So that is zero points there. So uh, Albert goes into three. So Albert, uh, you get for the last one. I'm going to give you, because that was a difficult one for us here. So I want you to choose between A and B. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with A. With A, okay. So this person is 71 years old. No, right. 69 years old. Sorry, I read that wrong. 69, 69 years old. Right. Next. This is the MP for Kirk Cowdy and Cowdenbeef. Or was the MP for Kirk Cowdy? He was, no longer. You know, I'm... Three points. Three points again. I really said it because I think I basically know who it is. Go on, I'm, I'm going to go all out. I think it's Gordon Brown. I was actually an absolute stormer. It's Gordon Brown. Oh, yes. He takes a 6 nil lead. That was the harder one at these last two as well. So there we go. 6 nil. Albert going into the last one. Oh, Odyssey. Cannot... Training ground. 
Odyssey's cannot win. But I, I'm going to make a concession here. I'm going to make a concession. For this one, Odyssey, I'm going to give you double points. So if you get okay. on the third one, you get six points. Second one, four points. So you need to get on the third clue, which is very, I think you'll get this. So this person is 71 years old. Double points. Try and keep you in the game here. Make it more exciting. 71 years old. Who's the next clue? Uh, this person is from Belfast, Northern Ireland. So have a, have a think. This is for six points. To win or to draw it, you need to get it on this one. Belfast, Northern I, Ireland. 71. So so think about the age. So they're 71 years old from Belfast. And they're usually going to, they're going to be a banter character, aren't they? They're going to be something with a bit of, bit of joke behind them. So they're Irish. Surely the next one's four points if I get it. Yeah, the next one is for four points, yeah. No, no, it's... it's oh, the first one's a four point. Oh, no, yeah. No, point. he's double points on this one because yeah, he's on yeah. zero. So. You still lose then. Well, yes. If you go for the next one, you will lose this week, Odysseus. No, no, I'm saying if I go for the next one, I'll, it'll be six, four. Because the first one's a four, the second one's a three, the third one's for two. So if it's double of two, it's Six, four. four. So you, it won't be an embarrassing loss, but it will be a, it's still a loss. Um, so this person was the MP for no, Belfast. Oh, wait, so they're not What? This right, clue three. No, clue three is MP for Belfast West, nineteen ninety seven to two thousand eleven. Yeah, next one. Okay, and the final clue. This person is famous for having a short fuse. Now think about the answer. Think about it there. Think about the uh, the wording of that. He's famous for having a short fuse. Seventy one, from from Northern Ireland. Former MP for Belfast West, and he's famous for having a short fuse. Al, whichever clue who it is. Uh, I, yeah, I have an idea. Yeah. Not 100%, but I have an idea. What does this? I need your answer. Uh, I think he might have attended the uh, Harry Grammar School uh, Old People's. <laughs> I think he might have done. I think he might have. I've, I've seen this person before, or a lookalike, certainly. A lookalike, yeah. Otherwise, I need to rush you for an answer. Otherwise, you're going to have to default. You're going to have to forfeit this. Okay. I'm going to say, is it Phil Gilbert? Well, no, it's not. It's Jerry Adams. And for a resounding result last time for the CS, he has been trounced here by Albert. Albert wins six points to nil, well, which means that Albert goes 1-1 one, one in the Red Ken Cup which is hotting up now. So there we go. So who will take home the Red King Cup? We'll find out next week. And on that bombshell, I would like to thank Albert and Odysseus for joining us this week. I'd like to thank Reed Howard for his fantastic interview. And uh, we will see you all next week for another very special guest. Keep an eye out on the social medias. This person is a character in, in the world politics. And we're very much excited to have him on the podcast next week. So keep an eye on the social medias. There'll be clues on there, I guess, and we'll reveal it later on in the week. So have a good week and we'll see you all later. Thank you.